Last week, we had a visit from Tony and Suzanne Sivright. They, as we have said before, they lead an amazing church in South Africa, all the way from South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. And you may have remembered that they mentioned that they have three services every Sunday, 7.30, 9 o'clock, and 10.30. It has to be an extremely efficient church as they have approximately 300 people in each service. That's how amazing it is. So in my mind, when they were telling me about the number of people and how, how much of a time gap they have, I'm just thinking, man, the coffee line and the tea line, the barista has to really get through those lattes fairly quickly. And what I've known of the South Africans, they are big on their coffee, very big on their coffee. So this barista has to get the people through the line fairly quickly. And actually, they, they have 30 baristas to get people uh, quickly through the, the coffee line so they can get them into the service. But anyway, what they brought or, or imparted or reminded us, us as a local church, was to, um, that we are to reflect Jesus to all people, especially those people who don't know Jesus. We, as followers of Jesus and the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be the reflection or the, the image of Jesus to all people. So I want to take a minute, uh, a few minutes, to expand on the importance of why we invite people like Tony and Suzanne Sivright into our church. I often use the term Ephesians 4 weekend or uh, Ephesians 4 visit for those times. This is taken directly from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11. I think it's up there. So Christ himself gave, in the King James Version, it said gave some to be the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is from the NIV version. So some people also refer to this as a five-fold gifting. These five gifts are what Jesus himself gave to the church to help build up the church, to equip his people for the works of service. So the people with these gifting, they are to use it not for selfish use or self-promotion, but mainly to help the body of Christ to be built up, which is the church to be built up. These are the people with recognized gifting who faithfully lived according to Scripture, both from the transparency standpoint and the accountability standpoint. We talked about recognized, you know, recognized as in both recognized within the local church, they need to belong to a local church, and recognized by partnering churches. Uh, transparency in terms of relationship. They need to have a transparency in terms of a relationship with people, both within the church and outside the church. And a relationship is more than just saying, hi, how are you on a Sunday morning? But an actual relationship in terms of getting to know people, having coffee with people, uh, being open in terms of their families and, and, and their lives and what have you. And, uh, and also accountability. Accountability to their own local churches or to the team of leaders. Uh, and they are also under leadership of someone. That's what accountability means. There is a saying that I, I actually really, I didn't fully understand it until after um, we, you know, I was saved and being part of a local church. It's like People don't fully understand authority unless they are under authority. So it's a way to help us to be accountable is when we are accountable to others, it'll help us to lead other people in a way the same thing is you can't lead unless you are being led, so to speak. So those are the three things that they have, and that's what we invite them in, and every single church needs these five gifting in order to grow and mature into a church that was designed by Jesus, and as we can see that, a church that is built up by Jesus. 
So that's not something that we decided to make up and decided to invite our you know, buddies in just for the fun of it. Uh, very briefly on these five gifting, and just to be honest with you guys, we can probably spend two or three sermons on each gifting, but I'm going to go through them very briefly just for us to have a good handle on them. So apostle, it's a special, think of it as a special ambassador for Jesus Christ to teach about Jesus. Think about Paul. He's an apostle. Uh, prophet, a special gifting to hear from God and discernment of knowing what to share, when to share, and whom to share it with. And when you share, it's about speaking life and encouragement and, and comfort and exhortations. Uh, evangelist, special grace and passion to preach the gospel and call for repentance to all people. Uh, pastor, special grace to love and care for God's people. And the teacher, special gift to explain and unpack scripture in a way that helps all people understand scripture. So the people with these five giftings are meant to help us, all of us to grow in our understanding, in our revelation, and the grace to carry it out, to live it out. So for an example, uh, Tony brought an increased level of revelation and passion for reaching out to those who don't know Jesus, right? It is an evangelistic gifting that helped to remind us of who it is that we are following. That is, we're following Jesus. And it is what Jesus has called us to do, which is to go and make disciples. To sum up the Ephesians 4 gifting, which was given to the church by Jesus himself, so the one overarching umbrella for this uh, gifting is to exalt Jesus. It should always be about Jesus. It should be all about Jesus and to help build up the church through a group of followers of Jesus who accurately reflect Jesus. So I felt it was necessary to speak a little on that Ephesians 4 gifting, the gifting that was given to the church from Jesus, the head of the church, right? Because Jesus leads the church and he's the head of the church and when he's giving the church a gifting, we need to understand it and embrace it and use it uh, because he's the one who's building his church. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, who belong to the local church, need to understand that and understand why the church exists and what the church needs, so to speak. It's not because we decided it was a good idea to get a bunch of people together and talk about good things in scripture. It's so much more than that. This is why we, we make, uh, it may appear to you, this is why we make a bigger deal when we invite people with a recognized Ephesians 4 gifting into restoration. It is for the benefit of all of us, for all people at restoration. And the hope and the trust is for us to learn about the gifts that were given to the church from Jesus himself. So we can all grow, right, and lead us to the next verse in Ephesians 4. It's until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's, um, so these are not just guest speakers, sharing the gifting or showing off what God has given them. They come with a purpose and an intentionality, which is to build up the local church. So I want to encourage you, everyone to listen to Tony's message from last Sunday, if you're not here. The recording is on our website. And it's also, we also have a podcast on iTunes if it's easier for you. Uh, even if you were here, I would still encourage you guys to listen to it again because there was so much in that message that he was trying to share with us. Uh, as It really brought forth the heart of who Jesus is and what he wants to do through his church. So uh, 
So with that, um, I just want to share briefly on the fees and for gifting and, and to help us have a better understanding of why we embrace it and why we think it's important. And as you know, we have been working through Colossians. However, I felt for us to, to take a short pause from Colossians to go more in-depth of what came through from that Ephesians 4 visit. Because we want to take a step back or just slow down or just the same thing when we're going through worship. If you feel that God is speaking something to us, we want to pause and receive what God has, just like this morning, to receive the things that he has for us. So the same thing through this Ephesians 4 gifting. We want to pause and try to go more in-depth of what God is bringing to restoration, specifically for this season. And that's what we do in the same thing. So I don't want to just move on to Colossians and then kind of brush over what God has spoke to us as a church last week. So my heart is to take the next few weeks to remind us again of who is Jesus and his heart for all people. What came through last week? And this morning we will look at the parable of the lost sheep from Luke 15. Don't tune out, okay? I know you guys all know about the parable of the lost sheep, but I feel there's, there's things in here that God wants to speak to us specifically at Restoration. So Luke 15, I think you guys know this. Let's, let's jump right in. I think I've wasted enough time. I, I still want my 30 minutes, starting now. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep. It started with the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So let's look at the first verse. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This implies all of us. Right? We're all sinners. The only reason that we're not sinners is because of Jesus. The only reason that we're not sinners. So all of us are sinners. But as you can see in this verse, the tax collectors and the sinners. And then as it goes on to the next verse, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law's mother, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Eats with them. So even the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws were sinners, but however, because they have created a title or a category for themselves, they somehow think they are no longer sinners just because they belong to a certain category. That's not true. We're no longer sinners just because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So I think instead of sinners, I think the term lost is probably more applicable and is easier to understand and is easier to accept when we share with other people. The lost, for me, it's as if people who are uncertain of what will happen when they die. Because, you know, when you die, you're just kind of lost. Like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? That's what I feel it, it will help people understand better of when they think about eternity. What's going to happen after I leave this earth? So that's what we mean when we say those are the lost. We can say that we're not lost only if we know with confidence and with conviction of what will happen when we leave this earth. So we can say that we're not lost, but only because of Jesus. Because as we believe in Jesus, we're not lost because we can say that, right? We can say with confidence and conviction that for eternity, I will be with Jesus. I will know what happened when I die, when I passed away. We're not worried, we're not afraid because we know what's gonna happen. We're not lost of what will happen after we leave this earth. So as we you know, believe in Jesus, as we repent and shift our hearts and mindset to Jesus, we're no longer lost people. The term repentance, as I was working through this, it has a negative perception, at least to me. I don't know about you guys. Repentance just seems has a negative perception, as in you must accept what you have done 
wrong and get punished for it. It's just punished for it. And repentance actually comes from the Greek word metanoia. I know you guys are going through the class and I think you're talking about repentance, but it's not a theological word. It's just change of mind. It's not a deep regret of beating ourselves over past mistakes. Some may even say repentance means I agree with God. So repentance is pretty much saying to ourselves, I was wrong, now I will live differently and think differently. That's what it is. So when we repent and agree and live with God, we're no longer lost. Well, it's so much more than that, but we'll just leave it at that. So as we notice that people who were all gathering around to hear Jesus, all people want to hear from Jesus. It is, from those two verses, it is the religious people, the self-appointed teachers of the law, are the ones that prevent people from hearing Jesus, from being with Jesus. They're the ones preventing people from coming to Jesus. They were spending too much time worrying about scriptures and biblical law, that they completely missed the heart of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We know this, right? It's from John 5, verse 39 to 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. This applies to the teachers of the law because if you study scripture diligently, you think you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's all about the heart of who Jesus is. We, as we're working through this, and I realize, are we preventing people from hearing Jesus? Or are we the ones bringing people into his presence, making space for people to hear Jesus, to experience Jesus, to come into relationship with Jesus? So I hope I speak for everyone because I think we belong in the latter group, right? Or at least we always want to be. We want to be the people who are making space for people to come and hear about Jesus. Not what the Pharisees or the teachers of the law were muttering. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And how do we try to get people to come? How do we be the people who want to make space for people to come and be with Jesus? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Welcome sinners and eats with them. Welcome people and have a meal with people. It's two very simple things. Even though this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were complaining but those are the things that Jesus was doing, and we want to be discerning and catch that. Welcome people and have a meal with people. It's very simple things, right? These two things transcend time, culture, generations, ethnicity, personality, economic standing, languages. Whether you're in America, Africa, Europe, Asia, when you welcome people and have a meal with them, you don't need to speak the same language. People will open up. People will feel welcome. They will come. And that's when we can hear the story. And that's when Jesus can start telling them about the stories, teaching them these parables about who he is and his heart for them. Anyway, so... I completely lost track of where I am. This humongous iPad, and I still lost track of where I am. So anyway, those two things. You know, those two things, it seems like very simple, right? Welcome people and eat with them. But sometimes it seems like it's very difficult because we live in such a busy city. We have so many things going on. We have a job. I have a job. You guys have a job. You have kids. You have all these things that you're planning. It's, but it's a good reminder for the things that Jesus 
is always doing and for us to always do is to welcome people and eat with people. Eat with people. It is a language that all people can understand. It seems very difficult, and I mean, it seems very simple. It seems very simple. I'm gonna, that, was in, that was in tongues, by the way. It seems very simple, but it's not easy because we tend to forget because of how busy we are and so many things that we have going on. But that's what Jesus was doing. Anyway, so the first two verses are important as they set the tone for the next, the three parables. But we're just going to go through the first one today, the parable of the lost sheep. And it's in a way, Jesus was telling these parables because he was addressing what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were saying. Because he's addressing the comment that they were muttering. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He was actually telling us, one of you is actually Jesus. He's trying to help them to relate. He's using the illustration of the sheep as it was easily understood by people back then. Um, because sheep are easily influenced or distracted by what's around them. You know, they're wandering around. Next thing you know, they get lost somewhere. In a way, however, it's not too much different than how things are today for us. I'm including myself in here. Because we can easily be distracted or influenced by people around us, or, or by the TV, or by social media, right? You know, if you look around, if, if anyone can go for six hours without looking at social media, that's pretty impressive, right? Any one of us? That, that, 10 minutes, that's impressive. So that's why I mean, it's, even though today with the technology, we're still easily influenced and, and, and affected by what's going on around us. And he's reminding us that you are easily influenced, but I am the shepherd. I am your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Even though when you don't know that I am your shepherd, I'm here. I'm willing to lay, lay down my life for you. He said that in John 10. Right? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. So he is the shepherd. And so as the verses go on, he say, I will, he's willing to leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one. That's amazing, isn't it? As I was working through this, it's like if I was a teacher and I'm, I'm overseeing 100 kids and you lose one, you realize you lost one kid. Would you leave the 99 and go after the one? You're probably just like, well, I got most of them. So that's okay. You know, someone else can go look for one. But that's, that's Jesus. That's how awesome it is. See, most of us would probably think differently, but each and every person is important to Jesus. Each person is important to Jesus. There wasn't a description about what the sheep that was lost, you know. Was it, was it the big sheep? Was it fat? Was it, you know, had lots of fur getting ready to be, what do you call that? Sheer? Sheer? Yeah. Was it skinny? Was it old? Was it young? I mean, what is it? There was no description. Because it doesn't really matter. Jesus doesn't really care who that person was. It's the same thing with us. He doesn't care, like, our mistakes, the things that we've done in the past, our background, what we have done. He's going after that lost sheep. He's going after that lost person. It does not matter how old, how young. Or it doesn't matter anything at all. He was able to leave the 99 to go after the lost one because he knows the 99 are already walking in obedience of his teaching and his way. The 99 are no longer lost because they know who the shepherd was. It's not because he didn't care for them. This is not because he didn't, didn't care for them, because they already walk, were already walking in obedience. The 99 already knew Jesus, right? I said that. They already knew his voice. They already knew of his love. And they, more importantly, 
they understood why Jesus went to find the one that was lost. It's because they were lost themselves at one time or another. He went to find them, each and every one of them. So they understood why Jesus went to find the lost. So as he went to, lost, as he went to look for the lost one, he searches high and low until he finds it, right? And it talks about he rejoicing not just by himself, but with his friends. He actually called up his friends and neighbors. He rejoices with others around him. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. This was a reason to celebrate. It is a celebration that's saying angels in heaven and people on earth all celebrating together, both on earth and in heaven. We know that the angels are aware of what's going on here on earth. It's from Hebrews 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we all celebrate together, right? On earth, with angel, on earth and, in, and with the angels in heaven when a lost person is found by Jesus. He emphasized the importance of rejoicing when a lost person is found twice. So if we, leak, if we read through this in Luke 15, verse 7, that I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And also in verse um, 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if I can step aside for a minute and say this, we're called together by God. Right? He brought each of us to restoration for a reason. It is so we can grow more in our understanding of Jesus, in our faith in Jesus, in our love for each other. The church is crucially important. We, all of us, we wouldn't be a part of this young church plant if we didn't have this revelation, right? The church is necessary. We talked about that earlier. It is built by Jesus. We see this everywhere in Scripture. We talked earlier about the need for receiving the fivefold gifting so the church, we, will be mature and grown up and grow as a church. So I preface the significance and the necessity of the church before we look at the last verse for this parable. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is always, always looking for that one lost person. It is because there is more, more rejoicing in heaven when a lost person comes to know Jesus. Remember that I talked earlier about the lost person as someone who's you know, not confident or, or not convicted of what will happen when they die? That is the type of people that Jesus is always looking for. And when that person is, when that lost person is found by Jesus, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one salvation. We want this to be our attitude. You know, we want to do and follow what is happening in heaven. Right? Because Jesus taught us, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if heaven is celebrating and having a party when a person comes to know Jesus, if heaven is doing that, we want to be doing that also. We want to be rejoicing just as much in here as it is in heaven over one lost person being found by Jesus. We want to be caught up with the things that Jesus is caught up with. We want to prioritize what Jesus deemed as important. We want to do what Jesus was doing, still doing, which is looking for the lost. 
We don't want to get caught up in doing church as in how are we doing, what we need, what we lack, or how do we compare with other churches, or what church is doing, or what the church needs to do more, needs to do less, or the church needs, what the church needs to do for me, or what can I get from the church, or maybe that's just me. But it's just we need to focus and prioritize what is important to Jesus. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. This verse, I just felt there was a reminder for us again to be the compass for our attitude. Not just this church, but regarding all churches everywhere. We want to rejoice in what is being rejoiced in heaven. And more importantly, we want to rejoice in what is being rejoiced by Jesus. He cares about the lost. He wants all people to come to the saving knowledge of his lordship. He cares enough to leave the 99 in the open country and go look for the one lost person. That is what he told us to do, right? He only told us to do one thing, right? There's only one commission. We call it the Great Commission. He never called it the Great Commission. It's like one commission. I'm calling you to do one thing. That's it. Go and find the lost. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that we live for. That's the God that we follow. That is the amazing God that we get to, to share with others. And that's the amazing God that we need to share with others because that's what he's rejoicing in. So I want to end with a reminder for us, all of us, of God's heart, which is for the lost. His desire, which is to look for the lost. And what he rejoices in, what does he rejoice in? When the lost is found and restored back into his kingdom. So I want to end with a conclusion by encouraging us as people at Restoration to remember that we, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. And this is an encouragement to myself as much as to all of us. And how do we do that? Which is one, strengthen and grow in our personal relationship with Jesus. Because as we do that, we will be confident in our identity in Jesus. And as we know who Jesus is and who our who our identity is in Jesus, we can be more courageous. There's a quote, and I think I have it up there. There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a German name. He said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. So as we become followers of Jesus, as we grow and strengthen in our relationship with Jesus, it will allow us to courageously and actively do God's will. And what does God want to do? What does he want to do? Did I say that correctly? What does he want to do? Look for the lost. And he rejoices in looking for the lost. And as we strengthen in our relationship with him and grow and be courageous and be active in our faith, we will reflect Jesus' love and goodness to others in how we live. Because when we live courageously and we live actively living out our faith, people will see it and get to experience it. And just a simple, simple tip, as we talked about earlier, the way we do that to help being active is welcome those who don't know Jesus and eat with them. Welcome people and eat with them. That's all we have to do. So doesn't, we don't have to be, I know Sue shared a little bit about so being introvert, so it's tough, but when you welcome people and have a dinner with them, sooner or later they're going to talk, right? <laughs> I think so. Well, sooner or later they're going to talk, and you're going to be able to 
to share and talk about who you are and what you believe in, and they get to see how you live your life. And they get to see the goodness of Jesus coming through of how you live your life and the decision that you make and how we parent and how we make decisions, important decisions. And when each of us do that, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, when we live that way, we will be the church of Jesus Christ. We will reflect the church of Jesus Christ. A church that is built by Jesus. A church that is empowered and restored by Jesus. And a church that is led by Jesus. Truly led by Jesus. A church that is truly a representation of who Jesus is. I, um, I want to end with this image, with this picture. I know there's a, a small crowd today, but last Saturday, Marie shared this um, as we were talking about, uh, you know, she doesn't want to be a part of a church plant, but she wants to be a part of a church that what it looks like in heaven. A church of many different people, many different ethnicities, many different backgrounds, people that grew up in many different countries. When we be followers of Jesus and when we welcome people and eat with them, regardless of where they came from and what they look like and what they have done, they will come to know the love and goodness of Jesus. And we're reflecting Jesus' love and goodness through how we actively live and how we courageously live by followers of Jesus. And when we do that, we automatically walk out the vision that God has called us together to do, which is to glorify Jesus everywhere. That's all we have to do. Just be followers of Jesus, courageously and actively doing God's will. It's, it, sometimes it may seem complicated, but like I said earlier, it's very simple. Welcome people and eat with them. Be followers of Jesus because that's what he did. That's what he wanted to do, and that's what he was rejoicing in. Right? So I just felt it was a, it was a good message that came through last week, and I want us to all stay here a little bit, to massage over that message and to, to go a little bit deeper, go more in-depth, and just to help us all, all of us, myself included, to how to practically walk it out and how to practically live it out as followers of Jesus Christ. And the parable may seem, I'm sure there are many different teaching on this parable, many incredible teaching on this parable, but it it's always reflects the same thing, Jesus' heart for the lost and what he rejoices in. Amen.